Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Uh, good morning to you, Nachum. I love Shabbos. Yeah, it's our, thank God thank it's Erev Shabbos, huh? <laughs> thank God it's Erev Shabbos. Never comes soon enough. Uh, that's for sure. I love the tourism. To, to this. Now, I know that, you know, the month of May did have Israel 70, so obviously it's a little bit skewed. But it's amazing to watch those numbers go up every single month and the percentages. You know, it's one thing when you beat when you beat last year's tourism statistics to Israel by 3, 4, 5 percent, you know, great accomplishment. But when you see 17 or in some cases, depending on the stat, 30 percent, it's remarkable. A lot of people traveling to Israel now. A lot of people and from all over. And it's uh, it's very interesting to see the, the statistics for countries like uh, China and India, let alone those from the United States, which is reaching m- much higher numbers. Really incredible. Summer is here, and uh, not only will people be visiting, but obviously people will be moving to Israel as well as that trend continues. Thank God. We don't realize that we are living in such an important era of Jewish history. Well, I shouldn't say we don't realize. Many people don't realize that we are living in such an important era of Jewish history. And uh, if more people would realize it, I think uh, their attitudes toward many different things would be different. Not Absolutely. The- and, and it's true on so many fronts, uh, from the rediscoveries of our past to the advances to the future that will carry through the 21st century to the uh, changes that are taking place in on every realm. I mean, I just saw a statistic that the study that amongst all different religions, Jews maintain, younger Jews maintain their parents' religious beliefs more than anybody else, which is contrary to what I think most people would have expected. That's for sure. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. By the way, what happens when you're in the Johannesburg government and you express uh, a positive comment about Israel? That can be very dangerous, Malcolm. It can be very dangerous, and thank God we have a very courageous Jewish community in South Africa who have continuously spoken up and do speak up. But, uh, you know, the hope is that maybe with Zuma out there will be changes. So far we haven't seen it, but we're still hopeful that that will be the case. Uh, an innocent statement about South Africa, or maybe it was the city of Johannesburg being a friend of Israel, and the health minister ends up being suspended. So you got to be careful what you say, right. but the public statements that are made in support of Israel are obviously much appreciated, that's for sure. But it also shows you how you know a simple statement is sometimes a very big risk, that when someone comes out, depending on the circumstances, in favor of Israel or says something positive about Israel, they are literally taking a risk to the point that they could lose their job, or in some countries, as you know, much worse than that. All right, everybody wants to know what you thought of the uh, Trump-Kim summit, if you thought it was productive uh, in the aftermath of their big meeting. Uh, what do you, what's your evaluation of that uh, of that encounter? I think time will tell. I think as to the real impact, the long-term consequence and significance, uh, will it be a, a model for, for Iran? Will it send a message to Iran that they're becoming more isolated? Uh, how it impacts uh, China and Japan uh, and North, uh, South Korea, how Japan and South Korea being strong allies of the United States. But nobody can diminish the fact that the president um, undertook to go to Singapore, met with Kim, uh, the image of the you know the two of them is not something anybody would have anticipated a year ago, right. and you know it's easy to, to knock it. It's easy to downplay the significance, but 
sailed had it blown up, you can be sure that we would have seen headline after headline. And the fact that it, it didn't, and again, we don't know what the final outcome will be. Um, and I hope that there will be the retention of the policy of being direct and tough and showing that we mean it. We see the impact of it there in, in the fact that Rocket Man uh, came around and uh, hopefully is sincere in it. We, it's, it's something you'll only know by testing it. Uh, you know, dictators have a lot of flexibility in what they can say and do. His country was also under tremendous economic pressures. And I think that the message vis-a-vis Iran was seen also this past week when the, uh, with the Al-Quds Day last Friday which was is the Jerusalem Day, uh, initiated 15 years ago by Iran to uh, mark the Six-Day War and the reunification of Jerusalem. And they, of course, marked the, the loss of East Jerusalem. And this year they combined it with Naqsa Day, which is the Palestinian commemoration of the Six-Day War, as opposed to Nakba Day, which is what they do annually to mark Israel Independence Day and the protests that accompany that. So the Iranians thought that by combining the two, they would augment the participation, the visibility, the impact of Al-Quds Day. And I, I have to say that it's quite remarkable to see the reports about what the real reaction was. And, and the attendance was much less than what people expected. Uh, the people themselves demonstrated by uh, yelling, we will not die for Iran, for not Gaza, not Lebanon, only Iran, our lives for Iran, meaning they reject the support for Hezbollah, for Hamas, and say that they want to, uh, their attention and, and is about the situation in Iran. And this, this is something that we heard shouted during the Green Revolution in 2009. Uh, and this is, uh, and, and I remember that um, Khamenei said recently that those who say this, anyone who continues to use the slogan, are low lives who serve the enemies, and um, he blasted. And of course, it comes with risk. And on social media, there were calls by people of death to the leader, and the in some of the marches, the underground movies of the marches, uh, and uh, and uh, hashtags like no to the Islamic Republic. Now, these are you talk about courageous moves in the reference to South Africa and elsewhere. I mean, you think about the consequences. Um, you know, people in various airports have been surprised to see the protests against the regime uh, by people who hijack computer screens uh, showing the flight information at uh, the airports in Mashhad and I know Tabriz and, and others. Secondly, Israel launched a Persian digital media uh, Twitter page, I guess, and it reached two and a half million Iranians, and there were tens of thousands of tweets with the hashtag, we stand with Israel, stating their position about how they love Israel. And again, remember the setting where this is coming from, people making reference to, to the Talmudic era, the longstanding relationships. This is a, a, an important statement because a lot had been invested by Iran in the this Al-Quds Day commemoration, and I think it it backfired completely on them. The second part is look at the messages being sent every day by major companies pulling out of Iran. Right. 
every day. Nike shoes refused to sell them uh, sneakers for their World uh, Cup World team. Cup, right. The the uh, Hyundai and uh, Peugeot and Mazda and uh, others. Uh, there's a Japanese company that that um, uh, pulled out from a three and a half billion dollar deal. That, and these are are, are all huge. Uh, enterprise is not you know hundred thousand dollars sales of uh, of uh, uh, individual items. Even Korean companies now, others, uh, major uh, energy companies from Europe, from elsewhere, and they can't put a stop to it. The Europeans tried, and they repeatedly tried, and they offered guarantees at first, none of which are going to materialize. So we're seeing um, the the examples one after another of uh, refineries and others. Uh, other companies, international companies, pulling out of Iran and Iran's economy, reflecting it. All right. Well, not to minimize it, of course. The, uh, I mean, they're worried about the, their their pocketbook suffering and what you know if, in fact, they'd be uh, they they'd be um, in any way marginalized, you know, in dealing uh, with the rest of the world, which I get, and that's why those companies, of course, are very careful. Uh, what to do at this point with Iran, but the people of Iran, as you describe, it's amazing that I mean, obviously. Uh, unless you know it's not as dramatic as i think they they essentially are facing death not that they you know even if there's not an official death penalty for these protests or for certain public statements there's no reason uh, why a government like that would not find a way to execute somebody and i know i'm going to the extreme but you get my point and the courageousness the bravery on their part is amazing when you think about what they're willing to say you know publicly or willing to uh, you know encourage others not to demonstrate etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's right. And, and uh, you know, people also should remember when you asked about North Korea, the mm-hmm. connection of North Korea to uh, to the events in the Middle East. Remember, the nuclear reactor that Israel took out in Syria was right. a North Korean initiative with Iran. Right. The ballistic missiles that Iran is testing has a, a large component of the North Korean input, and their, their, their scientists are in North Korea when they were launching the missile, their missiles and nuclear tests, and the reverse true in when Iran was doing it. it it's it's a closely bound uh, relationship, so this uh, this has a, a much more direct significance than perhaps uh, people believe in terms of the Middle East situation. By the way, uh, if Iran if Iran's leaders complain now. You know, why hasn't President Trump offered to meet with us? I, I would assume you agree with Thomas Friedman on this, that the president has offered multiple times. It's the clerics and the leaders of Iran that would never sit down at the table with him. They refuse that. They mock him. They right. denigrate him. But so did, they, they actually uh, came out with a public statement this week, upset that he went to Singapore and, and rebuffed them. That's not fair. I mean, fair. Not that they should be fair. But it's, but it's completely inaccurate. Trump would be more than happy to sit down and start a summit with them if that's uh, if that's what they want. Yeah, but I think that there have to be some understandings before, right. uh, you know, we're not, it's not completely parallel situations. He has said that he, you know, he sees himself as a master deal maker, and perhaps he, he will prove that. But the, um, uh, you know, Iran is a very encumbered uh, situation. We see the continuing and the escalating um, undermining of regimes in the region, they're, they're the troublemaking by Iran continues, and we have very delicate situations. You know, Jordan has new prime minister. We see the demonstrations continuing there. That's obviously of great concern. And the Saudis, UAE, and Kuwait came up with $2.5 billion to help shore up the government and to put some money in the bank there and to get guarantees from the World Bank. 
et cetera. But the demonstrations are continuing, and but because all of them, the lenders and the World Bank are demanding reforms and to cut the subsidies, and the people are saying, you know, are, are demonstrating for a long time now against it. They haven't targeted the king per se, but they demonstrate against the prime minister. And the uh, so it's a very delicate situation which Iran exploits as they do every situation. Egypt also changed their defense minister, interior minister. A lot of this has to do still with the the post. Now he was elected, he can move more freely, but also to do with the security situation there. And the um, so the you know Iran is continuing in every respect whether it's in the missiles and nuclear, all the areas that we know, and their efforts in the Gulf, their efforts in the um, in Yemen and elsewhere, and certainly in Syria, it doesn't change. And by the way, if if, if the economic situation only exacerbates, you know, the, the impatience of its citizens, of its residents, I didn't realize what the water situation is. 96% of Iran is in a drought situation? 97, and I did mention this uh, on the program a couple of weeks ago, uh, and have been talked about it for a long time. But again, it shows you how the American media, the world media, you know, will not focus on a, a reality that is shocking. That half the country is in in a deep drought, meaning that people are leaving. They're moving to the cities. They don't have water. The, there's no agriculture. There's no um, that wildlife is dying. It's People don't realize how parched and how bad it is. Netanyahu made a video this week talking to the Iranian people, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, offering directly help. offering them all the technologies and stuff that Israel has to offer them uh, in terms of, of water, water reclamation, water desalination, etc. But Iran mocked uh, his offer rather than saying, you know, we're putting the concerns of our people and their needs first. So the, this is another manifestation of Iran's internal collapse, the, the internal situation being uh, what it is, they may do more to try to divert attention towards external uh, enemies or uh, issues um, in the hope of uniting the people. But so far, that has not worked. And people continue to focus on the abuses of the government and to uh, to be more and more vocal in, in various places to, to, to talk about. It. And we know that Iran this week you know, gave $250 to everybody who got wounded near the border in Gaza, and held a big iftar dinner uh, there with the leadership of Hamas in attendance. So instead of the money going to their people and, and serving the needs of the Iranian people who are in dire need, they're using it to encourage terrorism. Unbelievable. It's America's one and only <clears throat> Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Big shout-out to those listening in Quebec City at the moment. Quebec City checking in. I want to remind everybody we're in the first of our three final days of our spring fundraiser, unofficial days, of course, as we want everybody in the month of June uh, to make sure to participate in our spring fundraiser. If you haven't yet, don't forget fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. It's what keeps this type of program going every single day, fjbunity.org, FJB for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. 
Org. Malcolm Honline with us. By the way, is this another uh, indication, this meeting between the Indonesian Muslim leader and Prime Minister Netanyahu, that, that they also have needs and wants from Israel, just like so many other leaders from around the world, including uh, Muslim leaders and leaders of Muslim countries who are trying their hardest to forge a decent relationship with Israel? I would, I would assume there's, there, there's some, uh, uh, there, there, there's some uh, want or need in the mind of Indonesia if this is happening. Am I right? Well, he's not an Indonesian government official. He's the head of the Muslim organization that represents 60 million people. So his presence in Israel, his uh, the meeting with the prime minister, I don't know if it was intended or, or on the sidelines, but the fact is that they met and that we see these breakthroughs happening with greater regularity, with people who would not have thought of meeting or going to Israel uh, doing so. So I think that it's, um, you know, the significance should not be underestimated. These these are important breakthroughs. And, you know, there was another one, um, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security, visited Israel and met with their counterpart, Gilad Erdan, in the embassy in Jerusalem. Wow. Is the first American official, I think, to have an official meeting in uh, in the new embassy. So, no, they're not backing off. They... They're reinforcing uh, the message, and I think it's that you know it hardly got attention, but I think it's really important. And she had a very good visit, um, uh, Kirsten Nielsen, to to uh, to Israel, went to the Egyptian border to study how Israel's defense me- measures that may have applications uh, elsewhere. I know that some people get frustrated. That I harp on this so much, but it, you just have to step back. A hundred years ago, World War One was ending. A hundred years later, you know, two, three generations later, could you imagine what what that generation of Jews would have said if they saw in the future a prime minister of Israel being courted by by people who represent hundreds of millions of people around the world? It just it's baffling. I feel I feel it's important to always point this out, even though we are discussing, you know, the, the hardcore news of the day. I think it's so important to point this out once in a while. Uh, absolutely. We have to remind people, and people should talk about this all the time. They can talk about the fact that Miss Iraq visited her Israeli counterpart, um, and of course will face you know, a lot of threats and stuff, and she doesn't care. She, she defends her position. But if you're right, if people 50 years ago, 25 years ago would have been told that Intel is putting $5 billion into a plant in Kiryat Gat, they would have said, this is crazy. There's no way that this is going to happen. And seeing all of the stuff that is being developed and all of the reactions, the fact that embassies are moving to Jerusalem, the fact that, uh, you know, they, they harp on the fact that the U.N. voted 120 to 8 against Israel. It's an automatic vote. And, you know, the U.N. doesn't change. But the uh, and But there were about 50 abstentions. Right. Uh, but and then the U.S. vote actually passed, but it didn't get a two-thirds majority, which is what you need to amend the, uh, the resolution where Hamas and others would have uh, the terrorists would have been blamed for their responsibility for the violence. But you see, the U.N. doesn't change; it doesn't matter. We have to look at all the developments around the world. We have to reinforce it. The Russians held their National Day celebration in Jerusalem for the first time, and the Prime Minister went to it. Now they they do say that they want to see a Palestinian capital there too, but the the fact that they would, after all the events of recent weeks with the opening of the embassy, that they chose to move their National Day celebration, their dignitaries and ambassador, to Jerusalem 
is an important state. Yeah, uh, so many things I want to react to here. First of all, um, the, um, the the UN. Here's how I understand it. I, I would assume I have this wrong, so you'll tell me. Uh, you'll tell me. You know what the the reality is. So there's a, a re- resolution, General Assembly, only eight vote on quote-unquote Israel's side. That's the resolution against Israel, correct? That's how it starts. Right. Th- then it's a one-sided resolution that condemns Israel Israel's violence, violence right. essentially, in Gaza. In, in Gaza. So then right. the, the Nikki Haley, what, insists or procedurally, how does it work? It creates an amendment to that? that she re- proposed an amendment. And now remember, there's no veto. At the security, in, as there is in the Security Council in the General Assembly, it's just a vote. Right. And to to amend the resolution, you needed two thirds of the. Uh, two, you need two thirds of the member states to. So the significance it, and they came just they right. Of that. So the significance is that on that vote there was a majority. Again, not what they needed, but the fact that there was a majority is pretty significant. And if I and if I read correctly, and I don't know if this was unexpected or not, but they said every European country voted on the quote-unquote good side on that one, which is is shocking or what? How would you categorize that? No, because, I mean, even they can't deny the the realities of what's happening on the ground. I mean, you can't, you look at these, you know, today they say say they're going to launch 5,000 kites. Right. Aside from the rockets that they fired and the attempts to cross the border, something Europeans are very concerned about for themselves. But, you know, people dismiss and people minimize, and I'm sure at the U.N. people say, ah, you know, balloons, kites, who cares? They cost millions and millions and millions of dollars of damage. They destroyed thousands of acres of farmland, of crops. They set fire to factories, forest fires. I think there were 10 on one day last week. And, the um, you know, they caused real damage. Now they're using... Uh, drones to cut, bring them down into drones with uh, blades on them that enable them to cut down the uh, balloons and kites and and they fire warning shots and eventually they're going to have to start shooting because this is not innocent acts these are they found that this is a way to attack Israel they say they can get the balloons as much as 25 miles inside of Israel the uh, and whether it's 20 miles or 15 miles, it can do huge damage. The um, and and the need to to declare it and to say we gave you warning, we, we're, we're going to fire warning shots, and if you continue, there will be consequences. Israel will have to strike at the source of it. Israel will have to cannot allow this uh, just just to go on. It's it's uh, very damaging, and for the people living on the borders, it's it's uh, very frightening um, to see these these balloons. That are carrying Molotov cocktails, uh, landing uh, near them. I'm sure you read some of the press accounts because Israel, some would say brilliantly, others may have other opinions, uh, brought many journalists to the area to see what was going on firsthand. What do you think of the assessments by by you know some of the journalists who were there? The coverage till now has been uh, ridiculous. The equation. Of the equating of the Israeli and Palestinian responsibility, in fact, putting the onus uh, only on Israel. There's no border in the world where a country would, would permit what, what has been taking place at the Gaza border. They would have taken much stricter action long before the, at the extent to which Israel goes to avoid uh, casualties. Uh, you know, there, were, there was a report yesterday that there were 250 terrorist attacks in, against Israel last year, seventy percent of the terrorists were killed in the act. So they prevented, and they were able to foil 
these uh, these attacks. But it's not because then it's not there aren't attempts to do it. Now, should Israel have a policy that says, well, you know, you just got to let them do it, then you know to carry out the attack, then you can do something about it, or. Do they say our job is to is to is to protect our citizens? That's the responsibility of a government. And if you can preempt it, if you can prevent it, you do what's necessary to do that. And and you know there's a lot of mingling. And by other countries, we see not only did, did Iran sponsor the iftar dinners and give money to these guys and weapons, and we know that they're trying to increase the nature of the weapons and all sorts of smuggling. Um, systems and set up, the, the tunnel that went under the water in order for them to be able to attack Israel. I mean, you think about the investment that they're making. Instead of building factories or hospitals or homes for their people, they're spending all this money to devise new means and new methods for to, to uh, be able to attack Israel unseen. And uh, and Turkey also is, is very involved in putting money in Jerusalem, putting money elsewhere, including in, in Gaza. Unbelievable. And what a way to wrap up their month-long holiday, huh? <laughs> by by declaring that they're going to, you know, try their best to kill Israeli troops and Israeli people. Yes, and people those. should not dismiss uh, that. But Israel is constantly developing new means. They they detected the underwater uh, right. tunnel. They have a new missile which uh, can uh, breach tunnels and uh, bunkers and without being as expensive as firing Iron Dome and doing other things because it's hugely expensive when people cheer that they brought down these missiles. The fact is each each launch costs a lot, a lot of money. So now they have the new Rampage missile, which will, it's an air-to-air missile, which will be able to take out a lot of these uh, targets air-to-ground also. All right, Malcolm, got to ask you about a couple of of disappointing things, I guess we'd call it. I mean, I I would assume you are heartbroken, like many people listening right now, when you see Nativ Ha vote and what happened in Israel this week. Yes, it's very sad. I get, you know, emails from people who were there. Um, but, you know, the law is the law. Israel's government implements the law. And uh, it is it is tragic. There should be ways that these kind of situations can be avoided and uh, be more communication and more understanding between them about the uh, because this, it's very sad and very painful to people to see these pictures. Is it true that they built uh, that the Israeli government built uh, temporary housing for those they were being that were they they were displacing during this episode? I think I, I read saw, I, yeah. I saw that report as well. I don't know. I, I would assume that's a lesson from from Gush Katif. I would guess right. Exactly. That, that, they that, don't that, want that, a replication of people being right. homeless and wandering, and you see the price that kids pay and others pay. Right. But at the same time, you know, people can't just take make decisions on their own without uh, if a government has laws and has to have rules, and uh, they have to abide by them. Yeah. I think two disappointing things. Some people expect the government would come up with a better compromise. And number two, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying that um that that those who who bring this to the attention of the world and the courts in Israel um uh, are, are is a group that has a rep- that has representatives around the world frankly and is known as a Jewish group and i think that sometimes irritates people that that this would be you know this would be brought to the forefront and supported and encouraged by a group that identifies as a Jewish group i'm sure you get the disappointment people have with that of course, I understand the, the concern, and uh, I, I think one of the things that we should all be concerned about is the is the um, 
criticisms. Yeah. Certainly, Israel, like any place else, is subject to uh, to being criticized and its tactics, et cetera, whatever. But when you see these armchair generals sitting in Europe or the United States, Jews and non-Jews, who say, why doesn't Israel use um, rubber bullets? Why don't they use cannons? Why are they just, you know, resorting to these uh, to lethal methods? And do they honestly believe that to, and the restraint that they have shown? And you see these criticisms uh, that uh, cause a lot of resentment in Israel, that people outside who don't have to live with the consequences sit there in criticism. But the army did try rubber bullets. They tried water cannon. It doesn't work in these circumstances. And, you know, it has to do with distance. It has to do with the the physical setup and, and other considerations. And every soldier that shoots needs the approval, two approvals, before you can pull the trigger. Yep. I mean, what other army in this circumstance, when you see guys coming with hatchets, with guns, with explosive devices across your border, across an international border, when everybody was promised, remember when Sharon pulled out, everybody said, now you'll be able to defend your border, you can go in, you can answer any terrorism, now it's legitimate. And yet they end up in the U.N. with a 120 to 8 vote, condemning Israel for doing just that. Yep. 100% 100% correct. couple of last things. Will Prince William go to the Kotel on June 28th? Uh, I'm sorry that there's so much publicity about it, because if I think to, if there, the, the, the more publicity there is, the less the chance will be, because there'll be more opposition to it. But he's certainly considering it. Uh, the draft law, any decision there in terms of, or is this another one of the uh, kick the can down the road and likely not much is going to happen over the weekend regarding the draft law in Israel? Well, over the weekend, I don't know, but I think that it's uh, it's not something they're going to be able to kick very far down the road. There is, uh, you know, there are threats to pull out of the government, but right. from the religious parties, it's a very sensitive issue. Hopefully they will find some way of addressing it. <laughs> the compromise I was speaking about earlier, huh? Right. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get that. And finally, I'm sure you have to agree, even though you point out rightfully that, you know, Local issues, quote-unquote, are not the thing you concentrate on all week long, but I'm sure you'd encourage all of us, uh, especially the New York State residents, to laud Governor Cuomo and others who are responsible for yeshiva security grants that are given because you more than anybody have encouraged the yeshivas, the schools, the um, the uh, synagogues to really bolster the security as much as possible, and obviously in this case the government is helping. The government is helping, and he held a press conference um, giving a check uh, for $5 million, I think, or more, $6 million. It's very important. We need much more than that. Um, and the federal government gives grants as well for, for this, so this augments that. It's very important, and it's important that the schools that get these grants use them for the purpose intended because security is has to be more and more of a priority for everybody. Oh, and frankly, a lot of... Um Organizations that you represent are fighting for these, uh, both locally and in Washington. So I guess they should be, they should be commended as well. There are some who are fighting for, and there are a few who have been fighting against. Is that true? Church, state. Oh, wow. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that. All right, next week, I, this should be interesting because, please God, if uh, your schedule allows you, will be joining us next week. Uh, you're going to be spending part of this coming week in Israel, which is always interesting to hear what uh, what you learn 
directly from our friends in the Holy Land. So, and, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going there not only to recharge, but to uh, learn so I can be updated in, in order to c- communicate the latest information to the JM and the AM audience. Exactly. Thank God you take that so seriously, and it's much appreciated. All right, Nesiat Shabbat Shalom, and happy... Oh, by the way, one last thing. Don't you love the point I made that people also have to realize on, on the subject of what we spoke about earlier 100 years ago? Uh, people have to realize that now the Jewish community can actually wish grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and in some cases, I would bet, great-grandfathers a happy Father's Day. Unprecedented in Jewish history, Malcolm. You mean great-great-grandfathers? Correct, great-great-grandfathers. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, I, as you said it, I thought about it, and it's really true that, that uh, many of us who grew up without grandparents, there was a whole generation missing from the Shoah for, for many, many families. That even I would say a very significant part of the Jewish people did not have grandparents, and it's really an absence. To, you know, we say the Torah teaches us that we look to our parents and to our grandparents, and the the connection between the generations is what gives us the strength, the guidance, the information, uh, the mesora that that we try to pass on. So. You're absolutely right. It's it's uh, it is a remarkable uh, statement, and something Baruch Hashem that uh, this generation should not take for granted. With that in mind, Happy Father's Day! Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We call it the Weekly Update here at JM. The AM.